Hi, welcome back to the Judaism From Within podcast. My name is Simi Lerner. We often look at culture as if it's progressing somewhere, as if culture and society are moving in a positive direction. Now this, generally speaking, is the case. The world is on a moral progress. We don't look at our ancestors as being more enlightened than we are. We look at ourselves as growing as a society, as humanity. But there are times throughout human society where we regress, where we see cultural phenomena sort of rear their ugly heads with ideas that take us back to the ancient pagan way of looking at the world, a way of looking at the world that the Bible, that the Torah, was clearly standing against. This week, I want to talk about three ideas briefly that we see a re-emergence in today's society, a re-emergence of ideas that harken back to our pagan ancestry in a bizarre, ironic way, in the name of enlightenment and in the name of casting off the shackles of religion. Today's society is becoming more pagan, is becoming more religious, but in a very primitive way. I want to talk about three ideas that at the beginning of this week's parasha, Parashat Shemois, Rav Hirsch draws our attention to. He draws our attention to them because the Jewish people are starting a nation now. We've moved away from individuals, we're now looking at nations. The nation of the Jewish people is being created. This comes through the vehicle of individuals, but the focus now is the Jewish people, Am Yisrael. And principles that are put down at the very beginning are there to permeate their way throughout the Jewish worldview and thereby the rest of the world. The idea of being a beacon really comes to a forefront here as a metaphor. A beacon shines forth, but it has to start from a point. Two ideas that are articulated in this week's parasha at the very beginning, I think, stand against a worrying cultural trend. And just in the name of completeness, we'll throw in a third one. So let's invest ourselves in the story. The narrative, what's happening here? The Jewish people are in bondage in Egypt. Now, that's not incidental. Egypt is the height of the Bronze Age power, the height of the pagan world. The pharaohs were gods. There's interesting to point out that the gods being people for us seems a bit strange. Like, how can a person be a god? Well, the ancient pagan mindset wasn't that there was a transcendence or a specialness of humanity or a special dimension in which the gods lived. Gods and man were very much the same type of thing. What I mean by that is, of course, there was a distinction in power, but there wasn't a distinction in kind. Gods and man walked amongst each other, the tree, the bear, the Nile. They were powerful. The pharaoh was powerful. That's why the pharaoh was a god. There was no transcendence. Humanity had no dignity. There was no individual. There was no self-esteem. There was fear and there was power. That was the world that the ancient Egyptians lived in, and that is the world in which Moshe is approached by God, the burning bush. God approaches Moshe and tells Moshe that he is going to take the Jewish people out of bondage. And there's two points that God makes, two fundamental descriptions that God makes in the Bible, firstly in describing himself, and secondly in describing the Jewish people which will give us our first two principles that were the foundational stones of the Jewish worldview. And then we will describe how the pagan world countered these two views and how we see them re-emerging in today's society. 
God describes the Jewish people as Bani Bechoyri, my children, my firstborn Israel. Now, this is key. God describes the Jewish people, the people he has chosen, as his firstborn. So, to paint the picture, we have a God creating man in his image, describing a people as being his children, but not in an isolationist way, but in a universalistic way. Yes, Judaism always dances on that balance, that delicate balance between universalism and particularism, the chosenness of the Jewish people, but at the same time the universal message to humanity. That is being articulated here. At the very beginning of the Bible, we get that universalistic theme of God created man and woman in his image. And now, at the beginning of this chosenness of the Jewish people, Bechara means my firstborn, but firstborn implies that everyone else is also a child. The idea that everyone else, the rest of humanity, are also under this canopy of being a child of a transcendent God was the first key or principle in the foundational stone of the Jewish people. This was a direct attack against the culture of the time. There was no idea of some sort of transcendent, immaterial God that in some way humanity represented. Their gods were the Nile. Their gods were very much this world. As I said, Pharaoh was a dude, but a very powerful dude. No idea that individuals themselves were endowed with unique dignity and irreducible worth, being made in the image of God. God not only has described humanity as in his image, but his children. Our first point, a firstborn implies other children. Yes, we are chosen to start the dance, but everyone else is welcome to join in with us. Now that is that first principle, the distinct nobility of humanity being something different in kind than the natural world. How do I see this being degraded in culture today? The language we hear, both from environmentalism and from animal rights activists, is the attempt to re-embed us within the natural world. Humanity is a cancer on the world. Humanity is a disease. It would just be better if humanity wasn't here to destroy the planet. Language like that, not that there isn't an important message about taking care of the environment, about reducing our carbon footprint, of course, but balance is required. And the way you look at the problem pictures what you think the solution will be. You look at humanity as being something special, something unique, with responsibility. Well, then the solution will follow from there. If you look at humanity as being a problem, well, then your solution will follow from there as well. And from the point of view of animal rights and animal welfare, an important, powerful message as it is, the need for us to reform how we treat animals. But to describe humanity as another form of animal, or the language that is often used of, I don't eat other animals, once again, not only paradoxically takes responsibility away from our unique place of being responsible by dint of our humanity, you degrade what it means to be a human. Humanity has a responsibility, but that is by dint of our responsibility of being human. The uniqueness and the nobility that comes along with that, with great power, comes great responsibility. So that's our first point. Humanity being a child of God, being countered by humanity being just another animal, or worse, a disease. That idea that seems to be so enlightened is a regression to a pagan way of looking at the world. But now our second point.
God has described the Jewish people as his children, humanity as his children. But what about the description of himself? Moses says to God, how should I describe you? Who are you? What, what are you? What description of God gives an inclination of what the Jewish God is? And the answer is, I will be that which I shall be. That is the name God uses to describe himself. I will be that which I will be. God is the God of freedom. That God is free means we are free. The very first description the Jewish people get of God is God describing himself as the one who is free. That aspect of freedom so deeply rooted in the Jewish consciousness. God, who acts in freedom in the world, calls upon man to act in freedom. That is a fundamental principle that has pictured the whole of the Western world. The idea that we are free to act and we take responsibility for our actions. That is the Jewish God. That is the God of monotheism, that we are free. Something that we feel more intuitively than basically anything else that is permeates our being. But that was called upon all those years ago at the burning bush that God is a God of freedom and he calls man to act in freedom. Now, we have that description of what we mean by God, the one who grants freedom. This was in stark contrast to the fatalism of the ancient world. You didn't choose, your actions didn't matter. There was fate and everything was bound by fate. Even the gods were bound by fate. Moilech, the god of the Canaanites, which symbolized the irreversibleness of fate, or the fate of the sisters of fate in the dark ages of the Greeks. Nothing could transcend fate. Fate was inevitable. The Torah takes a stand against this, a stand against fatalism and towards responsibility. But now let us look at the contemporary world. In the name of science and enlightenment, determinism is on the rise. It's almost a foolish, childish, primitive way of looking at the world that you are actually free. The idea that you could change the world, that you can act in freedom, no, we are living out prior causes. That is the approach in vogue in the intelligentsia today, that being determined is a hard fact, you just have to accept it. Putting to one side the bizarreness of the language when you speak like that, but still, it seems to be enlightened to talk about how you are simply determined. You don't have a choice. Life is pushing you, dragging you along, and you're playing it out. There's no radical freedom at the root of what it means to be human. This isn't an enlightened view. This is an ancient view. It was an ancient view that the Jewish people were standing against then, that we stand against today. So our two points, one of the uniqueness and the dignity of humanity, and the other of the responsibility and freedom that comes along with that, both articulated at the beginning of the Jewish people. I wanted to add a third, but it ended up being too long. The idea of original sin and how this idea that you would attribute to the Christians or even the Jews has no place in the Bible. Something Rav Hirsch was at pains to point out and the dangers of having this as part of your worldview, we see a re-emergence. But it is actually a offshoot of an ancient pagan worldview called Manichaeanism. This stark contrast between light and dark and the sinfulness of the body. You've probably heard the word, that's a Manichaean worldview. It's hearkening back to that idea and how this idea also we see emerging in culture. But I think I'll have to leave that to another time. So, in conclusion, the people throughout the past 200 years that you would have always expected to hold the mantle of humanity, that humankind isn't 
bogged down by religious ideas, that humankind has the ability to transcend, to choose, that human needs should be at the forefront of decision-making. This approach has been left behind by today's culture. Language in the scientific sense that we are just gene machines propagating out our gene code, compelled by forces beyond ourselves. You can hear the religious pagan twang to that. That is today's society. And humanity, not this crown of creation, but just another animal or a disease. And the dangers that come forth with this worldview and how the Torah, at the very beginning of the creation of the Jewish people, stood against these two worldviews. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful rest of the week.